uh, on Drake and Marlin, left behind with their children. Pray for them, fast for them, because that's what they'll be doing, I think, for 10 days, fasting. Um, let's turn to the Word of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Um, this is a standalone sermon. We're not in the middle of a series Right now, we're starting a new series on February 1st, and in some way, it's attached to that series, as you will see as we progress through. Uh, The series that's coming through, I'm going to do a very, uh, I'm basically looking at four sermons in Ephesians in February, leading into a longer series looking at the armor of God called Stand. Um, We've been uh, pastoring here now for, it'll actually be four years, uh, February 1st kind of time. Um, We started a little bit before part-time, but officially from the end of January in 2011. And one of the things with pastoring is you you really are very aware of the battles and the fight that many of you experience. We never go into a new year thinking that, okay, this year is going to be a difficult one. And, And if we look back over our 2014, there are many things that we can praise God for and many things that we should praise God for. But I know because I've walked with many of you through very challenging times. It's so important as Christians that we understand who it is we have inside and what it is that we stand upon. And so when we when we get into this series, we're really going to be talking uh, a lot about spiritual warfare. Now, if you're first time in church or you're thinking that's a really odd expression, not one you would use often in everyday life, spiritual warfare. The reality is, is that many times we feel that life is like a war. And, uh, and sometimes it doesn't come from physical things. Many times it comes from things that seem to be working at work behind those things. And if you're a Christian or whether you're just kind of thinking this whole thing through, I think we can all relate. There are times in life where it just feels like it's a fight. And we need to be equipped. And we need to be aware. And we need to understand who it is we're fighting against, and what it is that we have to fight with. And so we're really going to dig into that from February through to almost the end of May. And in the, in the middle of that too, we'll be talking about how to share the gospel. And uh, we're also going to be doing our life track, our third life track, which is uh, uh, going to be on uh, a midweek night. We'll give you more details and specifically how to share the gospel, how to live out the gospel. And so I'm really looking forward to digging into that new series. I used to uh, love playing hide-and-seek with our children, and, uh, and, and, I've, and I've shared this story before, but um, it's always fun playing hide-and-seek with really little guys because they're awful at it, aren't they? And you can have so much fun. You can, you, know, you can stomp around the place, and, well, I wonder if they're in the microwave, and then you hear the giggle, you know, and you check the washing machine, and hopefully they're actually not in the washing machine because that wouldn't be a a good thing. You check the freezer and, and you slowly, you know exactly where they are because certainly I remember playing this with Luke. He was hidden under a cupboard under in our laundry room with one leg firmly stuck out. So it was pretty obvious judging by the little ankle that, uh, that he was under there. Well, I wonder where, where Luke is. And, and there's this hide and seek game that's a lot of fun. If I'm going to be really honest with you, as a Christian, And this might be surprising to some of you who are just exploring Christianity. There are times where we feel like God is playing hide and seek with us. We feel alone. We feel distant from him. And he feels silent. It's almost like he's playing hard to get. 
And those might sound like strange words to you, but the reality is that every one of us, if we've been Christians long enough, understand and know that there are seasons in life that seem very, very alone and quiet. That there are things happening around us and things happening within us that create this sense of loneliness, not just a physical loneliness from other people, but there's this strange mix in Christianity of joy, peace, fulfillment, purpose, all those good things that we love to tell people about that comes with knowing Jesus, and it's mixed with stories of pain and, 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 and darkness sometimes and, and silence, and it's confusing. This scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, let's read it together and hopefully you've got um, some Bible notes in the bulletin and the uh, greeters would happily get you some. If you haven't got one of those, just a little piece of paper. It's also on you version as well if you use uh, the app. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. For though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Here's what, uh, we can leave this scripture up for a little while. Please, Levi. What? Here's here's what Paul is saying. He says there are things that are happening to us that create decay and and create challenge in our lives. But he's saying, look, they're they're temporary. Those things that we can see happening are only going to last a little while. But those things that are eternal, that really are having an eternal effect in our lives, those are things that are not seen. I read a quote from John Piper, Dr. John Piper, a couple of weeks ago. He said, at any one time, we're aware of three or four things that that God is involved in and we can see, but we're completely unaware of the tens of thousands of other ways that God is involved in our lives because he is involved in the unseen. And so as we approach Christianity and we think about how there are times of mixed experiences day by day, We need to remember that those things that we do not see are are the ones that are having the most impact in our lives. The Bible tells us that Jesus sympathizes and is able to help and to connect with us because he lived like we live, that he had the same struggles that we struggle with. He had the same temptations that we are tempted with, that he has the same loneliness and rejection that sometimes that we feel or the same frustration that we feel. But I'm going to be really honest with you. Some days, and I say this reverently, but seriously, some days it feels like he's forgotten what it's like to live as a human being. I'm not saying he has. I'm saying it feels like it. It feels like it. It feels like he is achingly silent and alone. God, where are you in this situation? Where are you in the, in, the, in the pain that I am feeling? Not just physical health pain, and that's very real, but the things that seem to happen to us in life. Where are you? And, and the world will say, well, maybe you just need to read this book and make this decision or make these one, three, five-year goals and, and everything will be fine or you need a four-hour four work week or you need to do this, you need to do that. And we try these different things only to find that it still feels achingly quiet. And it feels like 
Jesus has forgotten what it's like to be human. And those things are like, boy, Glenn, I thought you were a pastor. You can't say things like that. I'm just being real. Because the reality is, is I've sat across the room with many of you, and I've had coffee with many of you, and I've heard the stories, and I've heard the pain, and it feels achingly quiet sometimes. There'll be many times, and I'll be honest with you, and you know, sometimes I get criticized for being too honest. I'm okay with that. (laughs) I'll be honest with you, there's been times where it's been hard, and you question, and you think, God, where are you? And that's okay, and I, and, I, and I see in the Bible that there are people who have been able to put into words those things that I feel some days. Job, for example, Job 30, verse 20, it says this, I cry out to you for help. Levi, we got this scripture, please? I cry out to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. Can you feel the anguish? It's okay to ask God the big questions. He can take it. In fact, we're going to see that it's part of the Christian life. And this is David, the one who says the Bible talks about in such heroic terms. He says in Psalm 22, and this is one of the messianic prophecies, Psalm 22, verse 1 to 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out. By day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Have you been there? Have you felt that? I loved Joel's message last week. If you didn't listen to Joel's message, you need to download it and listen to it. It's wonderful. What I love about Joel is that he lives that message. That is his life message. It just came out like... Just take it all. You know, it's, and it's so authentic. And I listen and I echo it and I shout it and I go, yes. But let me tell you this. In order for us to fully fulfill the call of God on our lives, we need to understand that there are some days when it doesn't feel like we're so powerful and spiritually strong that we could raise dead squirrels up from the road, you know? That we're not always walking around a few inches off the ground with a spiritual haze like they used to put around Doris Day. Remember that? If you don't know who Doris Day is, then worst illustration ever. But you know, it's this kind of rosy haze around some of those stars. It's not like that. There's sometimes when it's quiet, sometimes when it's hard. And we need to know how to live through those times equally effectively as the times when it feels like God is really close. Because if David and Job cried out, Two heroes, two people that the Bible and God himself refers to as examples. If they experience such high highs and deep lows, then we too need to know how to live through that. It's okay, church, to say, I feel alone right now. Where is God? I love the Bible. One of the main reasons I love this thing is because when I read it, I read stories of anguish. I read stories of pain. I see stories of loneliness and rejection and failure. I see real stories. I love the fact that God is okay with including men and women just like you and me with their struggles in these pages and still points to them and says, live life like that. 
that it's not just always great. Sometimes it hurts. And you might go, wow, this isn't a strange message for the beginning of a year. I think it's a good message for the beginning of the year because I'm going to guess there's going to be some days when you're not going to want to get out of bed <laughs> because you feel the weight of life. Because you feel the weight of sometimes like you go, God, where are you? Not every day feels God-filled and blessed. We can't spin everything into positive energy. We can squash our eyes up and do the prosperity gospel thing and name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and, and still feel alone. No amount of positive thinking is going to make your marriage better. No amount of positive thinking is going is to stop that cancer. Now, you might argue and we go, well, no, hang on a second. You know, there's been studies that show, and I understand that it's important for us to have a good attitude. Don't hear me wrong. But it's not going to cure the cancer. It's not going to cure the pain. I read a, uh, an interesting little meme uh, this week. And for those of you who don't know who, what meme is, you need to talk to the ones who don't know who Doris Day is. And then between the two of you, you can work out what a meme is and what Doris Day is, and it'll all be good. So I saw a meme this week. Some of you are going, how do you spell that? What's a meme? And they had this picture of a jumbo jet kind of at this weird angle looking like it was about to crash, and it said this. If you're on a jumbo jet and somebody comes over the speaker and says, is there anybody on the plane who knows how to fly a plane? Always say yes, because if you're going to die, you might as well die flying a jumbo jet. I like that. That made me laugh. You can't always spin something into positivity. It's good to have a good attitude, but we can't always spin pain into positive. Not always. It's hard. So the first thing I want you to know, and if you have your Bible notes in front of you, you'll see my first point is that there's a difference between perception and promise. Perception versus promise. Our atheist friends would say that there are days when God is silent because he doesn't exist. That he's silent because he doesn't exist. What's interesting is our perspective always determines our decisions and our view of life, what your perspective is. And, and perspective does not equal truth. Your perception of what's going on does not equal truth. For example, Even though our perception determines our view of the world, it's not always right. So, for example, when other people take a long time to do something, they're slow. But when we take a long time to do something, we're just being thorough. Perception is everything. When you don't do something, when somebody else doesn't do something, they're lazy. When we don't do something, it's because we're too busy. Perception is everything. When they succeed, well, they're just lucky. When we do, we deserve it. When they are stubborn, when we're just focused. When I started thinking about this, I thought, when somebody else is gossiping, we're just sharing that information for prayer. I'm not a gossip, but that person's a gossip. Did you see how gossipy they were? Our perception, you see, the way we look at life determines whether or not we think something is true or not. They spend too much money and they're materialistic. We need it. So our perception twists 
the truth. It does not equal truth. The way we perceive things is not true. I referenced when we were uh, playing hide and seek, and uh, I remember as a kid when I used to play it, that if you closed your eyes, you would always think that you went invisible. Because if you can't see them, they can't see you. It's basic logic. It's math, people. It's perception. If you hold your breath, you become even more invisible, right? See, our perception does not equal the truth. Let me say something very, very important that I want you to remember. On the days when it feels lonely and hard and silent and we cry out, we're tempted to believe that either God doesn't exist or worse, he does exist and doesn't care. That's perception. That's perception. That on those dark days, on those days where it feels difficult, when it feels like God is silent, our perception is, therefore, he doesn't care or he doesn't exist. That's our perception. And allowing our perceptions to dictate our thoughts will actually twist our beliefs to the point where it makes the situation far worse. Your perception is not truth. When we go for a walk, we perceive the world as generally being flat. Now, we have mountains and everything else, but you know that if you look at like the horizon, it looks flat. There's this flatness of the earth. So if that was our perception of the way the world actually was, we would, like our friends that have gone before us, would believe that the earth is flat because that's our perception. But the reality is, is that we're all walking on this cosmically spinning globe. That's the truth. We know it's the truth because we have evidence to show that it's the truth. Just because our perception is that it's flat does not change the truth. Our perception does not change the promise. And so as perceiving God as being uncaring or non-existent, that we perceive that to be the way. It's a lot like walking on a flat earth saying that the world is actually flat. Because just the, that we perceive it that way, the promise is the absolute opposite. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. Our perception might be that we're distanced from God. The reality is, the promise is that we're very much connected with God, that we live in him and through him and for him. God is not uncaring or non-existent. He was never uncaring and non-existent to Job or David. It's just that there were days when it felt that way. That was their perception. It's not the promise. In Hebrews 13 verse 5, it says, For he has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. That's the promise. just doesn't feel that way some days. doesn't change the truth. Our perception does not change the truth. So be very careful on anchoring into your perceptions as truth while ignoring the actuality of the situation, which is God is close. He does care. He is involved. He's intricately at work. He loves and cares. And the Bible even says, feels your sorrow. He is there. Creation itself proves his existence 
And I've taught this a little bit before Christmas in Romans 1 verse 20. It says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. We feel God. We connect with God. We can see God in creation. He is close by. He's with you. No matter how dark, please, you all need to hear this, some of you especially clearly. No matter how dark it might feel or how quiet it might seem or how distant he might appear, please know he is light. He is close by. He is involved. He does love. He does care. He is interested. He's intimately involved. And how do I know that? Not just because the Bible says it, and it does, but because that has been my experience too. There is evidence to that. This should appear behind me. We are called to trust the promise rather than our perception. That's our calling, to trust the promise. What has God promised to you? So let's say you have a child, a daughter or a son who has grown up and older and and you have brought them up in the ways of the Lord. You worked hard to teach them how to thrive in every aspect. You made mistakes because as parents we make lots of them. I said to somebody this week, I spend most of my time apologizing to my kids. I wouldn't have anything to talk about. In fact, most of the things I say, I end up having to apologize for. So they're just kind of this, this weird balance. I'm always saying sorry to my kids. I'm sorry, I messed up. I'm an idiot. And they kind of go, you know, yeah, (laughs) they still love me. Somebody has to. We make mistakes, but let's say you bring up your children and they stray. They stray in ways that is just painful for you to even think about. What's the promise say? What has God said to you? that is intimately caring in that moment? What's the promise that is given to you? Anchor into that. Is that difficult? (laughs) I never said this was easy. But it's far more liberating and freeing than just anchoring into our perception. So number two, why does it feel like he is playing hard to get? Why can't we just walk around always feeling the El Shaddai presence of God around us all the time? There are people in history which seem to have that around them. Let me tell you, that's our perception again. You actually read some of the biographies of the great men and women that have gone before them. They lived lives of pain and turmoil where they had days where they questioned and they, they struggled. And yet God worked powerfully through them. So be careful of your perception there. But why is it that God plays it hard to get? This is one of the challenges when when we're in church, and especially if we're involved in camp ministry or youth ministry or events. I love Rush. Fantastic. Go. Go volunteer. Just, Just be around a couple of thousand young people praising Jesus. And I used to be quite cynical about things like this because I always thought, well, what happens when this ends? You know, well, while it's happening, it's good. It's really good. But the reality is that when we're walking around Canadian Tire or the high school hallways or the hallways of your office or Canadian Superstore, the lights don't go dim. The smoke machine does not fill the aisle. 
Somebody does not appear from around the cakes and crackers aisle. Is there one of those? I don't know. And strum this beautiful melody to Jesus and the presence of God just fills the place and you're, oh, that's never happened to me. Kind of, kind of fun if it did, but it doesn't. So how do you still feel the presence of God in those dark times? How do you still feel the presence of God when you are feeling lonely? Well, we have to start by asking the question, why do we go through these times in the first place? Is it possible that, that God allows these days because they're the best for us? That we actually need them? Not in a all things shall work together for good kind of way that people throw as some kind of scripture, scripture bomb into our lives when things are going tough. Well, all things work together for good. You know, right now, I just want to punch you and let's see whether that works together for good. Not in that kind of way. But in the way that actually says, you need this, Glenn. You need this sense for you to grow in me. Interesting. We have to start by being honest and press into questions like this as a church, rather than pretending that everything is okay all the time. Why are we afraid to ask these questions? Well, maybe as a culture, we're afraid to admit defeat. Maybe as a culture, it's not okay to be not okay. Maybe as a culture, we just have to always be seen to succeed. Maybe we think that if we actually admit that we feel this way towards God, that somehow it will become like a petulant child and go sit in the corner and go, they not be nice to me. I'm not going to have anything to do. God's not that petulant child. He actually welcomes this wrestle. Because within the wrestle, within the distance, within the silence, within the quiet, there is a purpose that is far more eternal, like we first read, and powerful. We need these days. Isn't that strange for me to say? You need days where you feel distant from God. You need days where it feels quiet. We need days where it feels like God has left us alone. Why do I say that? Because the Bible is filled with evidence of people who were still in the will of God, but still felt that way. So it must be, in some way, part of God's plan for us. The Bible, God welcomes and encourages these cries of anguish. And there's a myriad of reasons why. But I think there's one central reason why God allows it. Not just that we can look back in hindsight and go, well, God was at work. And many times we do that and we can see that. But there's an actual underlying reason that I think I've seen in the Scripture that I want to share with you. Let me first ask a few questions or statements. Isn't it true that absence does make the heart grow fonder? I used to travel a lot more than I do now. I tell you that ache that you feel to get home when you've sat in the glamorous hot spots of the world like Edmonton Airport before it was renovated because now it's been renovated. I was there like, wow, this is great. It's amazing. Before, it felt third world. I'm just saying, it really did. When you're sat in these airports and you're desperate to get home, isn't it true that water tastes wonderful when you're desperate for a drink? Isn't it true that we're never really truly satisfied with what we have and we're always longing for more? We're always looking for more. 
Isn't it true that the pursuit of achievement is often more enjoyable than the achievement itself? The research for that thing that you really want is far more exciting and interesting than actually getting it. Because as soon as we get it, we're just looking for something else. I put this down because I want this really to settle in your mind. And, and, and it should appear behind me in a second. Lack, hardship, shortage, and pain often produce the best character qualities in us, while prosperity, comfort, and abundance often produce the worst. Amen? Isn't that the truth? That when we are fat and happy, we don't seek out anything other than more food or happiness. But when we're in want and need and lack, then there is this sense of desperation that is created in us that we're truly thirsty. That drink tastes wonderful. And it's like God is willing to allow us to have days where it feels like we're in lack. It feels like we're, it's in hardship, that we're, there's a shortage in pain because we're then able to press more into him than when we're just feeling comfortable and have an abundance of stuff. We just get lazy and we ignore him. So my third point is lack increases longing. Luke chapter 11 verse 9 says this, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Longing makes us ask. Friends, desire to know makes us seek. Need makes us knock. That the idea that desperation somehow creates this desire in us, that you need to understand that when you get broken, brokenness is not the end. Please hear me. Some of you really need to hear this. Brokenness is not the end of your life. It's the beginning. And I'm not saying that as some flippant cliche. It's true that when we actually get truly broken in life, that's when we get desperate and we have a desire to seek something out that is more than just the immediate Brokenness is the beginning of life, not the end. Please hear it, friends. Brokenness. Those of you who are feeling broken, it's the beginning of life, not the end. Because in that brokenness, there's this God-inspired plan that increases our desire for him. When he strips away everything else and everything that you thought was stable and right and sure is taken away and all you're left with is you and your thoughts and your desperation, God knows you will turn to him. And we need that. Some of you are there right now. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Acts 17 verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. Friends, know that he is with you. He is intricately involved in ways that seem confusing and and frustrating sometimes. But he is there. And he knows. The verse that follows Acts 17 28 says this, that they should seek God 
and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. That we should seek him. Notice it says, community group leaders, this is one of the community group questions, is to study these verses. Notice it says, perhaps feel their way towards him. Are you reaching out and feeling your way towards God? Or has it become just a bit lethargic and apathetic? That you know, well, in my experience this, or my perception of God is that, and your life just seems thin and empty. Whereas the Bible says those that are feeling their way towards him are the ones that find him. And the way that we feel our way towards him, it seems that the scripture tells us that the situation will create that. Are you reaching out for him? Do you long for him? Do you know what occurred to me as I was studying this? How many times you can just, because we're not, we're not super Pentecostal here, so we're, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up because I just get discouraged. I'll do it for, on your behalf. I wonder how many of you have prayed and said, God, I want more of you. More of you, God. Create in me an increased desire for you. Listen, please listen. Create in me an increased desire for you. I want my life to reflect you. I want to live in you. I want more of you, Jesus. Those are good prayers, friends. But buckle up. Because scripturally, the answer, it seems to me that when you pray that prayer, sometimes looks like darkness. Sometimes looks like loneliness. Sometimes looks like quietness. When God will bring you to the point of desperation where you truly will have more than him, but not in a cute, fancy kind of walking two inches off the ground, super spiritual kind of lovely, here's a BMW kind of way, but in a bring you to your knees kind of way. What's the scripture say? He makes us lie down by still waters. He'll make you lie down. So the answer may come by plunging us into what might feel like deep darkness and distance. And you cry out, but you, listen, you press in. You cry out and you press in. Because David and Job were actually crying out to God, weren't they? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They were pointing their desperation to God. For those of you who are parents, you know that the most lethal weapon in the history of the parental world is about this big. I know the red paths have lots of these. There must be absolute murder in their house after a certain time. Little bits called Lego. Left sporadically but strategically placed around the house so that when it goes dark and you step out barefoot because you want a drink in the middle of the night, that perfectly gentle, wonderful, soft part of your foot places itself on that murder box, and the pain is unbelievable. You get the edge. It's like, oh. Just out of interest, but get Pentecostal with me. How many of you actually stepped on a piece of Lego like that? Okay, those of you with children in the room, you are winning. You have, it's true. In Britain, there's something far worse than Lego, an upturned plug. Because an upturned, I need to be careful how I do that. An upturned plug has three prongs, three prongs sticking up in the air, and they always lie on the ground from the cord pointing upwards. 
You step on one of those, my friends, you get a whole other new image of hell and Sheol. Trust me, it's awful. I wonder how many of you have ever actually been in somewhere so dark where you can't actually see your hand in front of your face. The only thing you can do is feel your way through the darkness. I remember going on a management training um, um, weekend when I was training to become a principal in, in, in Britain. And, and uh, they took us into a cave right down into the depths in, in, in Snowdon in North Wales, which was an old mining cave. And it was large because it's where they used to chuck out all the coal. And we walked and walked and walked and walked and went around corners. And, and, right, and we were all happy and woo, this is fun. And we had all our equipment and we were messing around. It was all good. Then they said, okay, to switch off all the lights. So our instructor said, switch off all the lights. And so we switched them all off. And we're like, <laughs> this is like crazy. And what's, what are we doing now? He just went silent. I can't remember his name. Let's just call him Jeff. Jeff, what are we doing now? Silence. He was right there, but he was silent, probably with a big grin on his face. He just left us in darkness that you could feel in silence. Because if he'd said, I'm here, hope would have risen, right? Our perception was he was a long way from us, but he was right there. And after just what seemed like several weekends, so it was probably only a few seconds, he said, I'm right here. Oh, that felt good. I was relieved. I liked Jeff more then than I did before. More likely to buy Jeff a beer at the end of that than I was before because I was grateful for him. And when we, what we did is we linked up and we walked and we were feeling our way along the wall. It must have been, it must have, if we could have actually seen us, it must look ridiculous, you know. And, and the other thing is this. Let me just say, just to complete the analogy, it's amazing how important your buddy becomes when you're in the dark. You grab hold. You don't care who it is. You just grab their arm. Like, we're in this together. Right? See, in Christianity, we need that. That's why we have community groups. And I could spend the next hour or so telling you stories from the last year of things that have happened in individual lives where they've been plunged into darkness. It seems very, very quiet. They feel all alone, and they immediately grab hold of the people that are in their community group, and they are grateful. And then together they walk through the darkness. And I remember walking along this wall with these other um, training principals and teachers. And they weren't giggling anymore. It was just kind of every now and again, it was this nervous, "Ah, but I really want to get out. And then something beautiful happened, the faintest of light. It's amazing how the smallest of light can bring hope. And you'd walk towards the light. Friends, some of you feel in that dark place. God is right there. So you might say this. And this is a good question. Why does God need to use darkness? Why doesn't he just give us good things to draw us to himself? You know, there's this human thing where we will do far more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. We are, you, you are in for a fight if you try and drag me towards the fire. You're going to get a fight. 
I will do far more to avoid the pain of being thrown on a fire than I would if you put a $10 note on the ground and tried to stop me getting to it. Now, depending on where you live in the world, the Scots might disagree. I'm going to get to the money at all costs, and they will fight more. And I've heard that maybe some Mennonites are like that. I don't know. Maybe the Dutch, I don't know. You know, whatever. But we will do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And God knows that he can just shower us with abundance, and it will create a deadness in our heart. But when we feel like we're dark, in the darkness, it will create a desperation for him. We will seek God the most when everything else seems impossible and improbable. And please be careful not to assume that the answer to our prayer will come in a way that we have predetermined that God will only move in this way. So let's pray for a specific situation. The only answer that God is going to provide is if this situation changes in the way that I think it should. Meanwhile, God is working at something else completely different. There's actually an answer to the real prayer, the real prayer that's change of heart. God answers and speaks in many different ways. Friends, pleasure is found in the pursuit. There is deep joy and pleasure in pursuing God. And as I close, here's what I want you to think about. When God created the heavens and the earth, darkness reigned, but he was at work. When Jesus was carried in the womb of his mother Mary, the womb was dark and yet Jesus and God was at work. When Jesus died, he died in the darkness. And yet in the darkness is where he took your pain and your sorrow and your shame and your sin and it died with him in the darkness. And when his eyes flicked open, when he was three days later brought back to life, his eyes flicked open in the darkness. Darkness does not mean that God is not at work. Darkness is just another opportunity for God to be at work and to create something new. And I want to tell you in 2015, no matter how dark it might feel, brokenness is not the end, it's only the beginning. The darkness is God working in different ways. Let's focus our mind on the promise that he is with us and he will never leave you, not on the perception of what it feels right now. Hold on to one another as you feel your way towards him, as you feel your way towards the light. Get involved in a community group. Learn more about him. Meditate on the gospel. Read your Bible. And if you don't know Jesus, you will find yourself plunged into darkness with no other way out than somebody unhelpfully throwing self-help books at you and, and other worldly things that, hey, try this, and maybe you should try that. And, and they fail. As you find yourself in the darkness, reach out and feel your way towards God. For he is right there. He works in the darkness. How he does it is a secret. I want you to close your eyes and I want to pray for you. Pray a blessing over you before I hand over to the worship team. Here's my prayer for you, churches. As I spent time studying this to communicate to you. Here's my prayer for you, that you may be able to take your eyes off what you perceive and place it onto the promise.
May you beat the door down into the presence of God. May you press into those who love you, that have been given to you by God as you feel your way in the darkness. May you press into the promises by setting aside time every day to read his word and hear him speak. And may you learn to grow and appreciate the light when it comes. And it will come. Father, I pray as a church family. But Lord, as we enter 2015 and all the good and beautiful things that we're expecting and hoping and praying for. Lord, I pray that we too would learn how to grow and to press in and feel our way towards you in the darkness. Lord, I pray for those in the room right now who feel like they're in the darkness. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged, that Holy Spirit, you would comfort them, you would remind them of promises, and that God, that you would remind them that the thing that the, they, he, you are most interested in is their heart, far more than their circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would remind them that their heart Lord, is held by you, and that you are there. And Lord, I pray that you would speak. Lord, I thank you that you speak all the time through your word and through your creation. So for us to say you are silent is, is really not true. Lord, I pray that we would press into your word, that we might see the promise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord, on the cross, making all this possible. Thank you for your presence, Lord.